Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. And let's one more time thank our praise team and our choir for all they've been leading us in today. We are thankful for them and thankful for you. Welcome back to Southern Hills. You made it. You've been waiting all week. Finally, it's Sunday, and you think, I get to go to church. I get to study the Bible and read and pray and send time singing with my church family. We are glad you're here. Today is going to be a challenging sermon. Not for me. Not for me. I'm going to be fine. Like, I'm good. Today's going to be a challenging sermon for you, because today I'm going to challenge you uh, to step out in boldness, to do some things maybe that might feel uncomfortable for you. Now, not necessarily in the room right now, not necessarily for you to stand up and do something weird. Um, I'm going to challenge you to step out in boldness in the area of salvation or in the area of baptism or in the area of bringing somebody to Jesus, letting somebody know about Jesus. I'm interested. How many of you in this room, you did not know about Jesus until somebody told you about Jesus? How many of you, that's true for you, would you raise your hand? You didn't know about Jesus until somebody told Raise your hand. How many of you are like that? Sure, all of us, absolutely, of course. Now, I am going to ask for somebody who's going to be bold. The reason is, is because today, Disrupt There From Old to Bold is the end of our three-week sermon series, and the sermon itself is entitled, well, let's go to it, Boldness. It's time to step forward. Now, I'm interested. Some personalities are not going to be okay with this, so I do not want to pick you out or point you out or embarrass you. But some of you are a little bit more bold and a little bit more extroverted in that way. You might say to yourself or say to me, Pastor, I'm willing. I'm interested. How many of you be willing to raise your hand and tell me who it was that first invited you to Jesus or who it was that first invited you to Southern Hills, this specific church? Now, think about it. How many of you are like that? Would you raise your hand? How many of you say, I don't care. I'll tell you. Uh, how many of you are like that? Yeah, that's okay. A couple of you. All right. Hold on. Now, go ahead and put your hands down. And I want you to think about your answer because at the end of the sermon, I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to ask a few of you to tell us, who was it that first brought you to church? Who was it that first brought you to Jesus? If you're ready to study the Bible with me today, I want to hear a loud amen. amen. Luke chapter number six, verses six through 11. Today, Jesus ends his interaction, at least for this sermon series, through the gospel of Luke with an interaction, his ends his interaction with the Pharisees. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, now it came and happened on another Sabbath also that he entered into a synagogue and taught. If you've been paying attention the last three weeks in this series, Jesus had entered into a Sabbath on each Saturday and he has an interaction with these Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day, and it happens again. And Jesus is teaching in this synagogue and as he's teaching, Something weird happens, something strange happens. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. He was disabled. He had a hand and an arm that had not fully grown, obviously, since birth. And so here Jesus interacts with this man. Now, it's interesting, this story is written in the Gospel of Matthew, 
Mark, and Luke. We're reading from Gospel of Luke. And Luke was a physician, a doctor. This is his medical diagnosis. Yes, it was a withered hand. He had a physical disability with his arm, his hand. He could not reach forward. It's also a medical diagnosis and very specific. He talks about it being his right hand, not his left hand. The Gospel of Mark and Matthew don't point that out. But Luke, the doctor, is going to notice these details. And he goes on in verse 7. So the scribes and the Pharisees were also there, and they watched Jesus closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath. They, they might find an accusation against Jesus. Let me ask you a question. If you could heal somebody who had a disability, would you do it? Yes or no? If you could heal somebody who had a disability, would you do it? Yes or no? Yes, I think we would if I had the power. I do not have that power. Jesus had that power. God has that power. I don't have that power. But if, if I could, I would. All right. For some of you who are new, you're not religious, and you're like, I'm not sure what the right answer is here, but I'm going to give you one that everybody can get right. Is it, is it good or is it evil to heal somebody that needs to be healed if you have the power to do it? Is it good or is it evil? Good or evil? Shout it out. It's good. We all agree with that. Yet in this moment, you're going to see a discussion, a dispute, a fight between two different groups of people, some people who think it's wrong for Jesus to heal this man, some people who think it's right for Jesus to heal this man, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether or not they would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. This is what the enemies of Jesus always do. They're always watching, they're always looking, they're always ready to find fault with Jesus. They're always watching and looking and ready to find fault with Jesus' followers. And we see this here, always looking. This is especially true of the religious, the Pharisees, the legalists, even of our day, always peeking in and peering in to see if what they're doing is not according to the extra rules they've established, verse 8. But he knew their hearts. Jesus knew their hearts. Isn't it wonderful to know that God knows your heart? Now, some might think, man, I don't, I don't want God to know my heart. Friend, listen to me. God not only knows every detail of your heart, God knows every detail of your heart. And he still likes you. I think about that because there's nobody in the world closer to me than Heather. And she knows things about me that you don't know. She still likes me. <laughs> Lucky, right? Lucky. But there are things about me that Heather doesn't even know. The deepest the thoughts that I will think that I would never say out loud. Things that I've done. Have you realized that in life, almost every human relationship you have, it feels that if there was a sense of full knowledge, there would be also a rejection. Jesus knows every single thing of your thought, heart, and mind, and yet he still wants you and loves you and likes you. Isn't that amazing? Now, Jesus knew the hearts of these Pharisees, didn't he? Oh, yes, he did. Jesus knew their heart, and the Bible tells us, look at what he does. He knew their hearts, their thoughts, their mind. And he said to them, who, has a, who had a withered hand? Arise and stand here. Now, I find this interesting because Jesus did know their hearts, and Jesus knew that these people had come there to trap Jesus. Their thought process is, A, Jesus is in the room, B, there's somebody who's disabled. C, Jesus will probably heal the disabled man. Well, how is that a trap? Because according to their extra religious rules, 
you could heal people, you just weren't supposed to do it on the Sabbath day. Because to heal people on the Sabbath day, you, we studied this last week, well, that was considered work. And if you did work on the Sabbath day, you broke the law of God. And Jesus better not break the law of God because if he heals people, he's broke the law of God, therefore he's not the Messiah, therefore he's not God. This is the whole setup, this is the whole trap. And so they're watching and waiting to trap Jesus in his work and Jesus knows this is going on and he decides to heal the man anyway. I wanna, I wanna ask this question. Um, Sabbath, Saturday morning, it ends when the sun goes down, just like six, seven hours later. Why didn't Jesus just wait to heal this guy? Why does he ask the guy to come forward and heal the man right in the middle of everybody? If I was an advisor to Jesus, right, if I was a public relations specialist, I'd be like, Jesus, look, I know you're going to heal the guy. Why don't you just wait six hours? He's been disabled his entire life. Why are you going to heal him on the Sabbath day? You're just going to, you know, push away all of these other people that think you're already not religious. Why don't you just wait? And it's almost like Jesus, on purpose, knew the hearts of the religious leadership and said, watch this, and pokes him in the eye. This is what Jesus, why? Here's why. Because Jesus is a disruptor. Jesus is not okay with the status quo. He's not okay with whatever is politically acceptable at the moment. If there's a table and it needs to be flipped, Jesus is gonna flip the table. And that's what we see him do. I am amazed by the boldness of Jesus. So he says to the man with the withered hand, arise and stand here. And he arose and he stood. Now to do this, this would have been really awkward because their synagogue setting was not set up like our church. Our church is set up big stage, lots of singers and, and the preacher all up here and you all sitting in rows. See how it's set up? That's not the way the synagogue was set up. The way the synagogue was set up is that there was rows on the outside and on that outside and on the back and the middle was open so that the person could read from the lectern and then go into the middle and discuss it looking into everybody's eyes. So when Jesus says to the man, hey, you, and the guy with the withered hands like me, he's like, yeah, you, stand up. He had to stand up and he said, stand here. He's bringing him to the middle of everybody, to stand in the middle of everybody. How nerve wracking would have that been? Hopefully he wasn't an introvert. Can I get an amen right there, right? And so now he's standing in the middle of everybody and he said, and, and he doesn't even address the man. He says, stand and stand right here. And then he looks at the religious leaders and he says this, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful? Is it against your law? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? It's a good question. He looks at him and says, okay, fellas, I've got this guy. He needs to be healed. It's the Sabbath day. Here's the question. Should I do good things on the Sabbath or bad things on the Sabbath? You want to trap me? I'll trap you. Jesus, like the kids say, he's baller, bro. You know what I mean? This guy, he looks at them and says, should I heal? Should I, should I save a life or should I let the life be destroyed? Wow, the boldness of Jesus. Well, Jesus ignores their answer, doesn't say anything because in verse 10 it says, and when he had looked at all around at them, the gospel of Matthew says he looked at them in anger. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. Now this I find interesting. He looks to a man who cannot reach and says, I want you to reach. It's like looking at a man who cannot stand and say, I want you to stand. Like looking at a man who cannot see and say, I want you to see. Jesus is in the business of asking people to do the impossible. 
See, we think religion is about going to God and asking God to do the impossible. Oh, prayer is part of it. We should go to God and ask him to do the impossible. But once we've gone to God and asked him to do the impossible, so often he turns around and asks us to do the impossible. Some of you are not believers in God right now. Some of you say, I believe there's a God, but I don't know about this whole Jesus and he died and he rose from the grave and I'm a salvation and born again. I don't know about all this. and, And I've talked with some of you and I've heard this before. You say, pastor, I want to believe. I just can't believe. Exactly. No, but I want to, but just deep down, I just, I don't have the faith. Yeah, but have faith. It's impossible for me to believe. Exactly. He's asking you to do the impossible. He's asking you to do what you could not do previously. Reach out in faith and receive Christ as your savior. Say, I don't have the ability. If you had the ability, your salvation would be won by your own ability. Because you don't have the ability, God says, don't worry, I'll save you. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that ability. The point is, I'll bring it right low. The point is, if you want to believe on Christ today, you can. All you have to do is reach out and believe. And that's what he tells this guy to do, reach out stretch out your hand, and he did so. And the moment he did so, his hand was restored as the whole, just like the other hand. So we watch in this moment, this guy reach out. Can you imagine this? He, I can see it in my mind because I've watched too many movies. His hand reaches out and like his arm grows in front of everybody. I'm telling you, if I was in the room, I'd be like, okay, I'm on Jesus' side forever. Like I'm, I'm with Jesus. How many, is that true for you? You watch a guy's arm grow out after Jesus. You'd be like, I'd teach Jesus. I don't even know where the rest of you are, but forever I'm with Jesus. And that's the way everybody should respond, with joy and happiness. But not everybody in the room likes it when God does something. Not everybody in the room likes it when God does something. Look at verse 11. But they were filled with rage. Who? The religious leaders, the legalists. They were filled with rage and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. It brought anger to their heart to see God do a miracle and they gathered around after synagogue and they began to say, we gotta get rid of this guy. Wow, wow, where are you? Where are you in this passage? Yes, Jesus was a disruptor. Jesus wants you, wants you, wants you to be a disruptor. That's the point of the sermon today. The big proposition for the entire rest of the sermon is this. Jesus is a disruptor, but he also wants you to be a disruptor. The question is how? Pastor Josh, how can I be a follower of Jesus, a mimic of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus? Here's how to be a disruptor. You need the three things. Beware, behold, and be bold. Beware, behold, be bold. All of them found in this passage. First of all, let's go ahead and see the first one, beware. Beware of what, Pastor? Beware the enemies of Jesus. Say it with me. Beware the enemies of Jesus. Say it again, say it again. Beware the enemies of Jesus. Say it again and let it sink into your mind. I want you to know and learn from what we're talking about. I want you to verbalize it with me. Say it with me. Beware the enemies of Jesus. Beware of them. They're found in this passage, but they're found in our modern society. We call them Pharisees. And Pharisees cancel you the moment they find disagreement with you. This is what religious legalists do. Let's go ahead and talk about who these enemies of Jesus are. We've talked about them for a couple weeks, and this passage closes the, the, the concept. First of all, the enemies of Jesus, they like to major on the minors. They like to focus their attention, not on the big important things of the faith, 
but on minor things that make, make no difference. It, it's true in all religious settings. For example, in the Jewish community, um, we talked about this the last couple weeks, and the reason we exemplify them is because that's the religious community Jesus found himself in. The religious community of the Jewish community has some silly, silly rules based upon rules, based upon rules, based upon rules, way down line, based upon something the Bible said somewhere. For example, it says in the Old Testament, it says you're not supposed to kindle a fire on, on Sabbath because to do so is work and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so today, if you were to go to Israel with me, we would go to dinner, we'd go to a nice restaurant, we'd try to get in our elevators to go up to our room on the Sabbath or on the Shabbat. And when you go inside of the elevator to press the button, the button won't work. You say, why doesn't it work? The reason it doesn't work is because on the Shabbat, they're called Shabbat elevators. Um, if you were to press a button, it would spark electricity, which is kindling a fire, which is work, which breaks the laws of God, which means God is displeased with you. So instead, you have to sit inside the elevator and go to every single floor. But if you're a Gentile, you can go into the Gentile elevator. You can press the button. And people who are Orthodox can actually go in there with you and watch you press the button. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're not, you know, it's like, at least I'm not going to hell, you know, you press it, you know. And no cheeseburgers, no cheeseburgers, no cheeseburgers. Because in the Old Testament, the Bible says, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. And so there's been a conflation of ideas and rules on top of that original law which means you cannot have meat and dairy in the same meal, which means no cheese on your burgers. Oh, God, help me. I'm already out. You know what I mean? Like, can't do it. But all religions have this, all religions. Some of you weren't raised Jewish. Some of you were raised Catholic. And you weren't allowed to eat meat on Fridays if you're very serious. You say, why not meat on Fridays? I don't know. It's in the Bible somewhere. Arise and kill an animal and eat it unless it thus be Friday because Fridays are for fish alone. Is that in the Bible? No. Why did they do it? Because they do it. If you were raised Mormon, you know, very serious Mormon, you had special underwear. <laughs> it's true. Some of you are like, no, Google it. Not right now. And by the way, don't Google special underwear. That won't help. <laughs> that won't help. Okay. If you raise Sikh, you can't cut your hair, like any hair, on your whole body, always, since birth, all, every hair, forever. Why? Because if you're raised Amish, if you're raised Amish, all the men, once you get married, have to grow a beard, but not a mustache. You can't have a mustache. Do you know why? Because as the Amish faith was really being developed about 200 years ago in the West, um, when I say West, I mean Western civilization, it was very fashionable for men to grow large mustaches, and the Amish want to be different than the rest. You know, holy and different, holy and separate. And so to be different, holy and separate than the rest of the secular world, they, they refuse to, they cut all their mustache hair and grew a big beard because their goal was to be different. And now most Amish have no idea why. They just know they're, they're, they're more holy and right with God than the rest of us. See, we can make fun of all religions. Why don't we talk about Baptists? Come on, Amen. Right? Do we have our own weird stuff? Some of you are like, ugh. Oh, my word. Yeah, this is going to get nerve-wracking. Sure, Baptists have weird stuff. I knew about, there were many Baptists who, when I was growing up, their, their women were not allowed to wear pants. Not allowed to wear pants. 
Some Assembly of God had Church of Christ. If you grew up Church of Christ or Assembly of God, a lot of you had the same rule, no pants on women. I knew a family who never, women just, that's fine if that's your personal standard, but if you then make everybody else follow your personal standard, they're not as holy as you, that's legalism. And uh, there's one family I knew, with, she, she wasn't allowed to wear pants, so they would go skiing, and when they went skiing, she would wear pants, but she would wear a skirt over her pants. <laughs> going down the mountain, you know what I mean? Like, it was weird, it was weird, you know? He's, he's skiing by an Amish guy with just a beard, no mustache, you know? <laughs> They're both comparing how holy each other are, you know? Like, this is the kind of stuff, growing up, Baptists would not go to the movie house, the movie theater. You could see the same movie if you went and rented it at Blockbuster Video and brought it home into the privacy of your home, but you can't go to the movie theater. Why can't you go to the movie theater? Because that's wrong. Why can't you bring it home? Because it's right. Where does the Bible say it doesn't? But you better obey or you're out. In some Baptist circles, there's a celebration of holding on to tradition. In fact, you are an acceptable Baptist church if you hold on to a tradition like... Um, like a Bible version. Now, it doesn't matter that nobody's been saved or baptized in that church for two years, but that's preferable, right? You're stained by the stuff. You're faithful and holy. Now, this church over here has a slightly different Bible version. Lots of people getting saved and baptized, but they're a bad church, but this church is a good church because they have 40 people and they've got the Bible version they, that I like. Which one sounds like Jesus? Which one sounds like the Pharisees? See, we major on the minors. Second thought, Second thought, go ahead and put it up there on the screen. They cancel those with whom they disagree. A lot of Christians like to complain about cancel culture. I'm telling you, religious people are the, the first cancel culture. Look at what happens, by the way, in the story. The Bible says in, verse, uh, in, in uh, Luke chapter 6 and verse 7, so the scribes and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely whether he should heal on the Sabbath. What are they doing? They're trying to watch to see if Jesus does anything divergent from their own opinions because if Jesus does anything divergent from their own opinions, he's out! We got him! Aren't we glad there are no Pharisees still alive today? Amen. Aren't we glad they're all gone? Do you think there are America, uh, uh, Pharisees in America today? I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking, I wonder, I wonder if our church can truly grasp this because a lot of you, some of you, I should say, come from religious backgrounds. Like I mentioned, Catholic, Mormon, Baptist, whatever it might be. But a lot of you come from no religious background. And sometimes, I got to be honest, I think some of us sit here kind of smug, sitting back, be like, that's right, all these crazy religious people. But you don't even realize you grew up in your own religion. You say, what is the religion I grew up in? It's called secular humanism. It's the modern American religion. And you've been indoctrinated in it since your birth. And anytime you deviate from the acceptable American religion of secular humanism, you get canceled. Like, let me, let me show you a chart that helps you understand the modern... By the way, there are a lot of people, I don't even believe in God. Yes, you do. I don't have a religion. Yes, you do. You just don't know it. Look, traditional religion, God, you look upward. Rules equal acceptance. Uniformity is demanded. Individuality is stopped. No questions allowed. Public shaming on all disruptors. And if you disagree, you'll get excommunicated. Right? That's traditional religion. That's what we've talked about for three weeks. Some of you are like, man, I'm so glad I didn't grow up in a religion. Yeah, you did. You grew up in secular humanism. Let's walk through it. Instead of God looking upward, you have to look inward for God. You've been taught this since your birth. 
right? Every single Disney movie that ever you came across says, just follow your heart and everything will be okay. <laughs> right? I like Disney, fine. But the fact is they are perpetuating a religion. God's not up there unless it's a star that you're wishing upon. God is here. There's no Father God, but maybe there's a Mother Earth that we can worship, right? And so what happens in secular humanism? Well, you have rules, and if you follow the rules, you're accepted. Certain rules, and you're part of the club. What kind of car do you drive? I don't know. It's just it's a, it's a, it's a car with four wheels. Yeah, but what kind of, what's, what, what is the carbon footprint of your car? It doesn't even have feet. It just has like four tires and... I drove a Prius. <laughs> I have no carbon footprint. <laughs> Are you drinking out of a plastic straw? Pla the turtles! I know you're worried about the turtles, but the, the paper straw, I can't do it. I can't do it. I will, bring, I will straight up bring a straw into your restaurant. Isn't this the way it is, though? In fact, some people are just getting really uncomfortable. Are you allowed to talk about these things? No. Because if I do talk about these things, I get excommunicated from the public square, from the religion, from secular humanism. Don't you understand? You see, the rule is pick a political party and ask no questions. That's the rule. Pick a, and don't question it. Either one, R or D. And if you're R, you better not question anything they ever do. D, same thing. That's the rules. And if you do exactly the rules, society will accept you. If you break the rules, you're out. What about, um, what about uh, uniformity demanded? Yeah, I think uniformity is demanded in our society, don't you? You better think like us, do like us, walk like us, act like us, talk like us, dress like us. If you don't dress like what's wrong with you? Isn't that the way the society is that we live in? Right? Like, who are your heroes? I'll tell you my heroes. I'll tell you the heroes I talk to my family about. Heroes in my life are people like preachers, like Billy Graham, Martin Luther King Jr. These are heroes. Missionaries like the Snooks who are leaving America behind to go help people in Africa. People like the Chapmans who are in Moldova right now. People like the Georges who are in Romania. And they're serving the, uh, the, the, the refugees from the Ukraine. They're not just on social media posting a flag of some country they had never heard of before three weeks ago. These people are actually serving the refugees from Ukraine. Those are heroes, people. Modern society tells you to have heroes of people you watch on a big screen who can't control their emotions in public settings. Those people are not my heroes. They're entertaining. I'll watch their movies when I got two hours I want to blow by and eat some popcorn. But they're not who I look up to. I hope you don't look up to these people. You can't say such things. You'll get canceled. I know. That's the point. But I don't care because I follow Christ. Who are my heroes? Business, Christian businessmen like Truett Cathy. Great athletes like, like Derek Carr. Say, Derek Carr's not my team. Who cares? What do you mean your team? You have, a, you have a team beyond Christian? Great, enjoy your sport, but man, you should be a supporter of somebody like Derek Carr, who is a godly man in our city who stands up for the Christian faith. Can I get an amen? amen. Some, there's a Raiders fan. Come on. Amen. There it is. I'm not even a Raiders fan. I could care less. The point is this. If you don't fall in line, you're out, which, which we get to individuality. Individuality stopped in secular humanism. Of course it is. Why? Because if you don't do exactly what we do, if your family doesn't look like our family, you're out. 
you're homeschool? You homeschool your, you homeschool your children? You like your kids? You want more? <laughs> yeah, we like our kids. Like, my favorite thing is to be with my children. I love my children, and I want grandchildren, and I'm okay with valuing family. I don't look at them as an inconvenience, a problem, something to be disposed of if I don't have time, either after life because I just find some nanny, or before life because I don't want to raise them. How could you say such things? Because I don't care about the religion of secular humanism or whether or not the American religion of modern American religion accepts me. Questions? You're not allowed to ask questions anymore, are you? Uh, I have a question. Are you, are you, are you really a woman? Because like, there's two genders. <gasps> you just don't, you can't see. Why? Science, as of like five minutes ago, told us that. And the Bible has said it for thousands of years. My question is, shouldn't we help those with gender dysphoria rather than validate their psychosis? Shouldn't we help them? Validating psychosis doesn't protect people from self-harm. I have a question. I'm not allowed to speak and talk about what my kids learn in school. Like, I'm not allowed to talk about that. Or what, I'm out? What, you cancel my company? See, don't you understand what happens, number six? In secular humanism, public, uh, secular humanism, public shaming on all disruptors. If you disrupt the modern American religion of secular humanism, you're out. And if you disagree, you'll get not excommunicated, you'll get canceled. That is religion of the day. And the problem, friend, look at me, I love you. The problem is some of you think you're Christian, but you also think you're an American. I love America. I love this country. I will fight for the freedoms of this country. But my allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom beyond, especially as this country has left behind the faith and is now in the new faith of secular humanism. And if you don't fall in line, you're out. They're just Pharisees, folks. They're just Pharisees with a different religion. And what we'll see about the enemies of Jesus is eventually they silence violently their opposition. So what did they do in Luke chapter 6? In Luke chapter 6, after Jesus healed this guy against their religious rules, they gathered around and they said, what are we going to do about Jesus? That's what they're going to do. In fact, the other passage we have, remember, this is also found in Matthew chapter 12. The Pharisees, the Bible says, went out and they plotted specifically how they might destroy Jesus. They violently oppose, uh, violently respond to their opposition. So how am I supposed to be a disruptor? Look, the only way you're going to be a disruptor is realize, first and foremost, you have to be aware of Christ's opposition. Some of you believe that you can, some of you, I love you, I'm trying to help you. Some of you believe you can hold the hand of Christ and follow him and still be a friend of the world. You're wrong. And at one point, you're going to have to choose. And if you don't choose, I'm telling you, friend, I've seen so many people let go of Christ and rather be accepted by the people around them. 
Number one, be aware of the enemies of Jesus. Number two, behold the Lamb of God. Okay, pastor, what you paint is a very dangerous picture. It seems really scary. Like, I mean, this is, this is deep stuff. Like, how is it that you have this smile on your face? How is it that I see you standing by Heather and you're giggling and you're talking about stuff and you spend time with your daughters and you're happy and it seems like you have joy? Here's why. Because I don't keep my mind and focused on the enemies of Christ. I keep my mind and focus upon the Lamb of God. I don't focus on what they're doing. Even when they don't like me or attack me, I could care less about what they're saying because I'm with Jesus. See, when you are focused upon the Lamb of God, you understand that he isn't even slightly intimidated. I don't get nervous around the world because Christ doesn't get nervous around the world. Look at what Mark chapter three, verse five says as this story is explained in that gospel. And when Jesus had looked around with them at, at them in anger, so Jesus is watching all this take place and Jesus looks at them and he has anger in his heart. Why is Jesus angry? Because these people would rather this man stay disabled. And Jesus, the Bible says, looked around with anger in his heart, being grieved by the hardness of their heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. Pastor Josh, aren't you concerned? Aren't you concerned? This is going to go on the internet. You're making every enemies everywhere. The religious people with all the rules are going to hate you. The secularists are going to hate you. You're making enemies everywhere. Aren't you afraid about the rage of the Pharisees? No, no, because I stand with Jesus Christ. I'm with, I don't, I, it doesn't matter to me. He flips the table. I stand there and I'm like, with him. Number one, I understand this, as I behold the Lamb of God, he isn't slightly intimidated, neither should I be. He desires to heal the hurting. Here's why. Here's why this is so important. Because while everybody else in the room was using this disabled person as a prop to trap Jesus, all Jesus was concerned about was helping the person in the room that needed help. They were using this guy as a prop to make a religious and political point. And Jesus was like, I don't care about any of that. How can I help this guy? I love that Jesus is drawn to the one who is hurting most. Listen to me, friend, hear me. I don't know who it is in this room who is hurting most, but I will tell you this. Christ's heart is gentle and merciful toward you. And he knows the details of what you're going through. And he hurts with you and he loves you and he wants to heal your hurt. Maybe you've been hurt by religion. Maybe you grew up in a religious system like we just talked about. You've been lied to by religion. You've been told, check all the boxes and God will accept you. And you've been spending your life checking the boxes and you still don't feel accepted by the religious leadership or your family or your friends or God and something's wrong. You've been lied to. And he wants to heal you from that and have you turn your back on religion and receive him as your relationship, your friendship, your personal walk with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've been lied to by secular humanism. Perhaps you've been lied to and you were told, you take the life of your unborn and it'll give you all the peace. You take the life of your unborn and you'll be free of guilt and shame. And so you listen to these people, these people who use you as a prop. 
and you know deep inside the pain and the anguish and the shame and the guilt that you carry. And they say, oh, you only carried that because you were told by some religion that it was wrong, but you know deep inside the sin and the shame and the guilt and it hurts you. And you think, is Jesus angry with me too? No, he wants to reach out and love you and bring you in and say, it's okay, I'll heal you. He's not there to condemn you. He's there to love you. Perhaps you've been lied to by secular humanism to deny your God-given gender. And you've been told that suddenly you'll discover peace. And you've done so and you think, I don't have peace, I don't have joy. I have to pretend to put a mask on, a bigger mask than I've ever had before. And the religious hate me and now the world hates me and I'm fighting and I'm hurting inside. And God is saying to you, come to me, I will heal you. I will restore to you who you truly are and who you have always been. Perhaps you've been lied to by the secular humanists and have been told, get rich and money will solve all your problems. And you've done well, you've done well. And you think to yourself, but I am winning, I am winning. I do have more, but I'm not happy. What's wrong with me? You've fallen into one of the bad traps of modern humanism. And that is the more you get, the happier you'll be. But you know you're not happy. You know you're not happy. Christ wants to heal your envious, covetous, greedy little heart. Maybe you've been lied to by secular humanism that you can fulfill all your sexual desires and that's where happiness is. And so you've done so. You've tried all the women you can try, then you've tried the men that you can try, and then your identity is all over the place and you're not sure and you keep searching. You're like, maybe there's happiness out there. And you realize you're done, you're empty. You say, what do I do? What do I do? Come to Jesus Christ. That's where you'll find healing. And what I love about Jesus Christ is that when you behold the Lamb of God, you understand all he cares about is healing the hurting. Are you hurting? Are you broken? Are you lost? Are you frustrated by the users and abusers of our society? Jesus says, come to me. I want you to beware. I want you to behold. The last thing I want you to do and we'll be gone. I want you to be bold. Be bold and step forward. Say this with me. Be bold and step forward. Say it again, say it again. Be bold and step forward. Jesus says, look, I love this. Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, arise and stand here. That would have been nerve wracking. Every single person in this room, no matter how big your personality, if I said, stand up, walk forward and stand beside me, you'd be like, bum, 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 bum. that's what's happening here. And the Bible says he rose up and stood and stood by and said to, said to this man, now Jesus says to this man, reach out your hand. And Jesus asked this man to do something he knew he could not do and he reached out and his hand was healed in that moment. My question as we close today is what is God asking you to do that you know is absolutely impossible? As a Human, multiple times you've prayed, regardless of your faith or lack thereof, you've prayed. And you've said, God, I need you to do something. You've asked God to do the impossible. Now you understand he's asking you to do something impossible. For some of you, it's to, let's to, be, to become a Christian, to get saved. You have lied to yourself and you're gonna keep lying to yourself till you die and go to hell You've lied to yourself and thought, I can't believe. I just can't believe. I just can't do it. I don't have the faith that these people do. I can't believe. And he's asking you to have faith even though you believe it's absolutely impossible for you to have faith. And what you need to do is not check a bunch of 
boxes for religion. What you need to do is repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as your savior. You need to get on your knees and say, I can't reach out, but you're telling me to. So I'm having faith right now. And as you reach out in faith, you will find that he is creating faith inside of you. And you'll be saved. Repent, receive Christ, believe that he died upon the cross, was buried and rose from the grave. And he offers salvation and all you have to do is reach out and believe. Even right now, I believe in this room, there are people who are doing just that. And at the end of the service, I'm gonna show you how you can come forward and talk with a counselor, somebody you can trust, and get saved. You say, I have to talk to somebody? Be bold. Step out. Live beyond the status quo. Who cares about PC political correctness? Let's go. Some for salvation, some for baptism. Next Sunday's Easter, which means we're doing a baptism Sunday, and there are a lot of people getting baptized. You should be one of them, some of you. Some of you have believed on Christ for salvation, but you've not yet been baptized. My question is, what's the deal? Why? So I have to get in front of people and get wet and that kid and the wet and the water and then the, I can't, be bold, step out. Like what's holding you back if you're a believer in Christ? You'd be like Kathy. Kathy this last year went through some tragic stuff. She lost her mother, then she lost her husband. She came to Pastor Caleb and she said, you know what, I believe her in Christ. I've trusted Christ as my savior. I know I'm born again, but I need to be baptized. I wanna show my dedication to Jesus Christ. I need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And she was baptized showing her dedication to Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus. Have you ever done that? After the service, why don't you step forward, be bold. Make your declaration. Say, no, I'm done with my past religion and I'm done with secular humanism, whatever that is. I'm a follower of Jesus. This is how we've done it for 2,000 years. Number three, some of you need to be bold by bringing somebody to Jesus. Right now, I'm gonna ask that God bring somebody to your mind that needs to be saved. A friend, a coworker, a neighbor, relative, somebody who needs to be born again. God, I'm asking you to bring to their mind individually somebody who needs to be born again, somebody they know, somebody they can bring to church. Now, for many of you, the Holy Spirit of God is bringing a coworker to mind, a neighbor, a relative, a friend, somebody that you know or think might not know Jesus. Or maybe they're a disciple of Jesus that has gotten lost, like a lost sheep doesn't have a church. You're like, I need to bring them to Jesus. Well, what do you do? Invite them to church next week. Like, be bold. Like, make a decision to take the card in your, and give it to them and say, come with me. Maybe you need to go and sit in your car on the way out. Don't get out of your car at your home. Do not get out of your car until you text them and say, hey, what are you doing next Sunday? And they'll say, why? And they'll say, I want to take you to lunch. It's a trap. <laughs> you want to take me to lunch? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Where do we meet? Okay, we'll meet at church at 10 o'clock. And then, I don't know, do whatever you got to do. The point is, are you bringing people to Jesus Christ? You say, man, that takes a lot of boldness. Some of you need to invite your boss to church. Some of you need to invite your employees to church. Some of you are like, my boss needs Jesus, man. I'm telling you. Well, then get them to Jesus. I don't know. What about my job? What about their soul? What about their soul? Here, here's the thought. Here's the point. Here's the ending. What Christ wants us to do is to go from the old religious, this is the three sermons, the old religious system 
to a boldness in our relationship with Jesus Christ that changes everything. Are you willing to step out and follow him? I pray that you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth you've given us as we've studied it. And Lord, my prayer is that I would not only speak with boldness, but I, their leader, would live with this boldness. That I would be aware of the enemies and I would be hold the lamb and I would be bold and step forward by faith when you call. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.